0: Well, great job. Now I have to get up and preach on that, prostitutes. And I'm thinking, to tell you the truth, there's, there's young girls and, and young people, and I have to get up and talk about hookers, talk about things that are completely inappropriate to talk about in a church. But if you have a problem, you should know I'm just a guest speaker. The pastor will be <laughs> back before you decide you don't want this place. Give it a second chance. And for those that are the leaders here, they'll say, so listen, next time we won't invite him. We should have had a series with Tom times two, but why did we have to bring him? It makes sense. You should be glad I wasn't here last week to talk about Amos. It's bad, but in another way, Amos was patently insulting toward women. In the fourth chapter, he calls women a bunch of pushy cows. Now, that's no way to endear yourself to women, by the way. I got news for you. You say, listen, you're a cow. It doesn't work. And he says, you push around your husbands, you're drunk and you know, pushing them around, laying on your couches, sending them out to go buy another crown royal for you because you haven't had enough. I mean, it's so insulting. I got news for you. Today's not a whole lot better today's not just insulting, it's graphic. It's completely inappropriate. And to tell you the truth, I shouldn't have to talk about it, but it's in the Bible. And the series here is for fun and profits. It's not a lot of fun. We'll try and have some fun. I hope it'll be profitable as we look at hookers and more. I invite you, please, to open up your Bibles to the book of Hosea. And before I tell you, before we get into the story of hookers and Hosea, which is an interesting title for a sermon. I want to make a statement that will be rather shocking uh, on the front end, but you need to hear the whole sentence because I want to begin by looking at this hooker by talking about my experience with hookers as a police officer. <laughs> okay. I knew I would get your attention. I said you wouldn't like it, but you needed to hear the whole sentence. I have had experience dealing with prostitutes. I remember as a rookie going into a brothel and cleaning out the place. A very interesting story. Uh, We would knock on doors. Who is it? Police. Bingo. And there, and I remember there was one man, and he was there, and he had this, uh, caught. And he has a nice Bible on the bed, and I don't mean the Gideon Bible. I don't mean a Gideon's Bible that he got from the room, he brought it with him. And I remember that quick, she gets dressed and he's embarrassed, I have him sitting down and he's sitting there scrunched up and I see one what, what of those, what would Jesus do bracelets? And I look at him and say, what would Jesus do? I've had experience out on the street, dealing with the sort of things that we're gonna look at in the text. Both from arrests, problems, traffic stops and the like. What I'd like to do is draw from some of that, at least at the emotional level. I don't know exactly what can happen to people where they become so hardened. They become so... uh, Something happens. I would imagine there's natural instincts in a woman. Not that I'm an expert in women, to tell you the God's honest truth. But I would imagine there's natural instincts for love and family. And to throw that under the bus for a life of of just use and abuse with nothing but someone throwing a coin at you, I would imagine just to do that transition, uh, something's happened in the mind that I can't fathom. But I want you to look with me, please. Uh, I want you to turn uh, on your iPads. (laughs) Don't tell me the battery's dead. Oh, there comes the apples coming, so you see it's... And you you need to have iPads. I used to say, open up your Bible. But then I preached in California and I learned that that's not cool anymore. What you have to do is say, uh, turn on your applications, uh, turn on your iPad, uh, turn on your cell phone, go to the Bible app. And when the Apple finishes firing up, then you go, oh, there's my, my pretty wife. And now you go to slide it. You go to... Bible. And I go to my notes, just as my wife wrote them for me, so I don't embarrass myself too much. You know, but really, it's talk about prostitutes and hookers. I, I think it would have been better for her to be here, so that way I could be guided by her disapproving looks. Because sometimes, you know, I get that look and then I know I've gone overboard, but I have none of that right now. So I'm on my own up here. It's a lonely place. I feel a little insecure. If I say something inappropriate, the pastor will be here shortly. He's in Anchorage, Alaska right now, but he'll be coming back quicker after he gets all the text messages. (laughs) Um, But I want you to look, please, in Hosea chapter 1. We're told in verse 2, the Lord began to speak. And the Lord said, go take yourself a wife of harlotry. You mean an ex-harlot? No. You mean you go to Prostitutes Anonymous for recovering? No, 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 no. Go, go on the street. I wonder, how do you do that? He says, go take yourself a prostitute. What does he do? He drives up on the side of the road and a lady in a short dress and buxom and a low neckline comes over. He beckons her, he comes over. And he says, Excuse me, I I am just wondering, ma'am. She doesn't have a lot of experience, so he's nervous. Uh, excuse me, uh, I'm just, just are, are, are you a prostitute? No, I'm a nun. It's 102 degrees. I don't feel like wearing a habit. Of course I'm a prostitute for <laughs> no, uh, I'm sorry, I, 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 I don't I I am just wondering uh, what, what what, what, what you would charge by the hour, mister, believe me, I'm so good, we don't need an hour, I charge by the job. He says, no, the, 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 the reason why I'm asking for the hourly rate to tell you the God's honest truth is because uh, I'm wondering not just the hourly rate, but the, the day rate. He says, you want to buy me for a day? Well, well, well uh, what's the weekly rate? what, mister, you want to buy me for a week? Uh, uh, what's the, the monthly rate? Uh, uh, and by the way, uh, what would it cost if I bought you for 50 years? <laughs> You're crazy. The guy just pulls up and he says, listen, I want to buy you a prostitute, not an ex-prostitute. This is a profit. The Lord says to him, uh, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. He says, go get yourself a woman who, you know, go to the house of ill repute. Go to the house of the rising sun and uh, go have some sons through her. Do that. And why is he to do that? According to text, he says... For the land has committed harlotry by departing from the Lord. He says, go get, marry yourself a hooker to tell you the truth. But why should I do that? Well, you know, from God's perspective, this whole nation is a bunch of hookers. Nobody's faithful around here anymore. I mean, they're, they're, they're all sleeping around in some kind of religious sense. So he tells the prophet, listen, you know, go get used to her. Go get yourself a prostitute marry her publicly. In verse 3, so he went and took Gomer. That's a boy's name, by the way, in Hebrew. It's like, the, you know, was, was Johnny Cash the boy named Sue? Listen, if you have a son, you name him Sue, you know you're in trouble for a lifetime with a name like this. So he says, listen, go get this girl who has a guy's name. I don't know what that's all about. Text doesn't say. And so what he does is he marries her or he contracts with her. We'll call it marriage. So we're told that he went and took Gomer, and she conceived and bore him a son. Oh, ain't it beautiful? Uh, first came love, and then came marriage. And well, not exactly like that, but someone did come along in the baby carriage. And the Lord said, Call his name Jezreel, which means God scatters, or call his name No Future. Call his name, get out of here. A lot of weird names here. A lot of weird stuff here. Well, I just don't think this is appropriate in church. Well, I, neither do I. I don't think it's appropriate. But what can I say? I only work here. The guy said we're doing a season on prophets. You have Hosea. Thanks a lot. Couldn't you give me Isaiah something more interesting? But instead I have to talk about hookers. Why? Because it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, it can be in the church house. But anyways, moving right along with the text. So call his name, get out of here. That's a great name for a boy. But in verse 6, we're told that you know, she had uh, another baby. We're told in verse 6 that she conceived again and bore a daughter. Oh, you know, just to warm a mother's heart, a little girl. It's just beautiful. It's so touching. Then God said, call her name lo Ruchama. Let me tell you what Ruchama means. You know how you have cute girls' names like this Charity and this Grace, you know, and Mercy. Lo Ruchama means no mercy. Ain't that sweet? This is my little girl. Uh, Lo New uh, Merton, no mercy, can you please come to dinner and wash before you eat? How do you call a girl no mercy? I mean that's just insulting. That's weird. You got a wife, Gomer, with a boy's name, and then you have the firstborn son is get out of here. The second is a daughter named No Mercy. So if you think it's a weird story, it is weird, but don't take it out of me. I only work here. I just read the book. He said, Do Hosea. So I do Hosea. And what can I say? It's in the Bible, so it should be in the church. So what happens? He says, Call her name No Mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. You know, I'm finished. I mean, I get the feeling here that God was not a happy camper. He was peeved with his kiddos. Now, me, I haven't had a girl. I've had boys, my sons. And to tell you the truth, I have threatened them. I've told my sons, listen, I'm going to trade you in for girls when they were growing up. I threatened to trade them in for girls. And believe me, I wish I'd done that on more than one occasion. I said, I'm going to trade you in for girls. I told them I'm going to sell them into slavery. I, 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 I've threatened them on a number of occasions. I, I, I never did it. Never really meant it. A little bit of humor there. Oh, dad, shut up is the way they'd respond. But this is a little more serious. And he says to them, listen. To his daughter, he says, listen, sweetheart, your name is no mercy. Okay. In verse 8. When she had weaned, lo, Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Okay, listen, we're just in the baby-making business here. And God said, call his name Lo-Ami. Now, in Hebrew, the word Am um, is, the, is the word for people. Ami is my people. Lo-Ami is you are not my people. So you have one son, named get out of here. The younger son is you're not mine, and the daughter in between is no mercy. it's just kind of weird, in, in, in my opinion. Well, you calling it weird? Are you calling what it says in the Word of God weird? Yes, because when I read it, it's just kind of weird. He says that, Call his name no people, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So what do you have here? Entering into a world. Uh, it's, it's a world gone bad. It's, it's, it's a world coming unglued because of sin and circumstance. And uh, prophets had come before, but they just were not heeded. So, in the interest of trying to get people's attention, the Lord sets up this this dramatic moment where the prophet isn't just someone with a word, but there's some kind of congruity where his life becomes something of an object message of the message. There's congruity there wherein as much as the people themselves have been wayward in, in a religious sense, what they're doing with their affections and lives. They'll show up for church, but the truth of the matter is, is they're just going different directions and, and God is not a happy camper. And this is going on, and we're right up against judgment to be meted out. Well, in advance of that, there's a story here about some guy who's called to to marry a prostitute and become some kind of living object lesson. And there is a kind of shock effect to the story, assuming I've understood it correctly. There is a kind of shock Inasmuch as it's shocking for me to talk to you about it, it would have been shocking for them to live and and know this story back in the day when it's played out. So because shock is obviously the intended purpose, I have no interest in sparing anyone from it. I just as soon be shocking and let the impulses go where they go. Plus, my wife's not here to give me the disapproving looks to say rein it in a little bit, so I am just, you know, uh, I'm, I'm without... You know, those, those kind of restraints. I want you to look in chapter two real quick, and I want to shift gears. Where, in as much as you hear uh, uh, Hosea saying, Listen, that's not my kid, you know, the one kid is named Beat It, the other girl, the girl is No Mercy, the son is You're Not Mine, leaving the family drama. Now, if you look in the second chapter, there's, in order to be more gripping still, there's the language here of indictment that's ubiquitous in Hosea. It's found elsewhere as well. Very, very legal language. He says here, bring charges against your mother, which is rather interesting to tell the kids, to turn on your mom. He says, bring charges against your mother. Parenthetically, I, I, I keep uh, you know, i I'm, I'm an eccentric theologian, rabbi kind of guy, I have that happening, but I keep a commission as a cop, active, shave the stuff off the face, I'm assigned to a detective division, but I'll shave this stuff off and go out in the streets, because I just like the streets like that, I mean, I'm a, I, I think it's very interesting, you, you get a front row seat to a weird circus, and in some way I'm just kind of addicted to it, I suppose, I don't know, but and I like to get out there and help people. Um, it's just interesting. I'm a little old for it. I realize at 57, but I don't, I'm way too young to play golf. And, and I like to say personally, I'd rather chase oddballs down freeways than little white balls down fairways, you know, but it's whatever works for you, I suppose. Well, anyway, so last week, last week, I get dispatched to a call where it was a father who wanted to file charges against his son for theft. So I go there and knock on the door. Who is it? Police. I go in. There's the mother there just kind of sitting on the couch looking at the Olympics. There's the son over there who's clueless what's going on. And uh, so I, I walk in and the father, this is his only son. His only son. The father says, there he is. Arrest him. He's a thief. 15-year-old son. I'd have opportunities to walk into uh, these rather interesting family dynamics. I've gone on a few occasions where the kids called to get their, uh, their parents arrested. I remember... Uh, one call like this, where he says, Bring charges against your mother. You know, mothers, what a bummer. Moms get blamed for everything. Uh, but, but I remember taking a call. It was a 16 year old girl who called 911. So I took the call. Uh, and uh, uh, can I help you? Yes. My mother beat me. I want her arrested for assault. She spanked me with a belt. Uh, okay, and the mother's there. See, the girl heard in school that she can jack up her mother, you know, for assault. So, of course, you heard it in school, so it must be true. So, uh, I look at the mother. I says, "Ma'am, did you hit your daughter?" Uh, with a trembling lower, lo- uh, y- yes. The daughter with a belt. With a belt. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. See, the mom knew she was going to get locked up. She might not. Beat the rap, but she wasn't going to beat the ride. Mama knows she was going to jail. So I tell the daughter, I says, go get the belt. Let me see the evidence. She, she's, she's just as happy as a mosquito in a nudist colony to go get that belt. She's just like, oh, yeah, baby, I want it. So, okay, I could have done without an illustration. Edit. Sound booth. I don't want Dave to hear that. I'll never come back. Okay, so what? what, what? just as happy as can be. So what happens is then the daughter comes with the belt and I look at the mother trembling lip did you hit your daughter with that belt uh yeah I said I want you to hold the belt so she held it hold it the way you held it when you hit her so she held it she grabbed the buckle and she looks at the daughter <laughs> And I said, when you hit her, were you grabbing the buckle or were you grabbing the other end of it? Well, I was grabbing the buckle. And I looked at her and said, okay, ma'am, what I want you to do now is beat the living daylights out of your daughter in front of me. (laughs) And I looked at that 16-year-old girl and said, listen, sweetheart if you think the state of texas is going to take your mother to jail for spanking you i got news for you they'll be selling snow cones in hell before that happens (laughs) and so i told the mother i said listen what you want to do is you want to aim for the tuchus that's why god created extra fat there aim for the tuchus the state of Texas realizes if she squirms, you might miss. And it might go down a little bit, and it might go up a little bit, but nobody's perfect at close range, and there's a lot of emotion and wiggling going on. <laughs> so I, I've had experiences with bringing charges. You know, and, and it really is rather strange. It's intense, by the way. It, it, it's one thing to describe it. But when you deal with these family dynamics, it really gets weird. It really does. Uh, Couples that are living together, and they're estranged, and there's tensions, and it's winding up, and it's winding up. Or parents and kids, it just gets weird. And it's dangerous. From a police perspective, and then go to the text, and there's one principal point I want to tease out of this beyond being descriptive. Um, you know, from a police perspective, you can get dispatched to some, you know, some hassle in a bar. Some guys, you know, they're, they're both half drunk and this guy's met this girl and he's hitting on her and someone else is hey, get out of here. I mean, he's known her for 12 minutes. Someone calls the popo, the police and the police come, you get out of here. And then they leave. They've got 12 minutes of history. It ain't no big deal. But when you're dispatched to a home where there's been tensions that have been building for 12 years, it doesn't go away so easy. And and, and those environments, when they begin to unravel, they become very intense. Uh, We're entering into a world here where there's been a lot of poor performance, where people have not performed well. And part of the reason I would imagine for using sexual impropriety as the imagery is because the God that they were worshiping, Baal, if you look at... Baal you hear Baal Baal in in the Hebrew Bible Baal was a male deity and uh, there are uh, figurines of him that have come down from antiquity with a protracted phallus there's sexual implications by the way and similarly the female counterpart to Baal the Ashtarot is depicted in Canaanite bronze figurines many breasted and pregnant all the time it's a fertility religion It's sexualized. Uh, These people were agrarians. They were farmers. And they construed that in as much as in sexual relationships a woman is inseminated and out comes fruit. There's the God in the heavens who inseminates the earth with rain. And then produce comes as a result of it. So these people are wanting good harvest. The religion is sexualized. There's imagery there. It has a sort of ground appeal to it. And so you have this image of sexual impropriety, you have tensions, you have bad performance that's been going on for years. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. For she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Now that's not true. That's not true. Because it was already made clear that There was a a relationship that was established with legal tender. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight. For she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries and her adulteries from between her breasts. The language here is really graphic. Okay, Jeffrey, you've said that. You're being descriptive. We, we, we know there was trouble in River City. As you hear this story, um, I, I, I want to ask you a question. Never mind this world that's a few thousand years ago. When you look at your own world, in your own webs of relationship, can you think of people that are poor performers? They're just performing poorly in life, in religious life, morally, spiritually, overall, socially? Are there people that are performing poorly? Now, sometimes when, when they go out chronically, and the word chronic and the word chronology are cut from the same cloth. In Greek mythology, there was chronos, this deity that gobbled up time. So, but when you look chronologically or perennially, when you just look at these individuals as they're making their journey from the womb to the tomb, as they're making their passage through life, their performance is lackluster and it's ubiquitous and it's a downward trend and it's pathological because of the way they're oriented. They're making decisions that are hurting themselves. Never mind you, they're hurting themselves, they're hurting other people. If you have individuals in your webs of relationship, if a name, a circumstance, a situation, be it close or distant, if something pops up in your cerebral cortex, never mind them for the moment, My question is to you, how do you personally interact with those people? Is your overall disposition toward them defined solely by what you've read here? That here's an example of angst. Here's an example of giving voice in drama and indictment language in a way to cast aspersions to be descriptive. If you're minded to speak to them like that all the time, I want you to know within the sound of my voice, that's not the whole story. Because it's easy when we're disconcerted simply to give voice to that disconsternation. The real story isn't in the gory. The story was in the drama, the story of a man that loved her still. Looking like a sandwich with two pieces of bread, let me briefly note with you what's in the middle of the introduction that was bombastic with marrying the prostitute wife in the first chapter, and then the indictment language. Well, jack up your mother in the second chapter. What's in the middle of that? I want you to turn with me, please. Uh, Back to the text. And I want you to look in verse 10. After, and I want you to understand this comes right on the heels of, listen, marry a hooker and have kids. Uh, First son, you're not mine. Daughter, no mercy. Third son, you know, you're not mine. After all that. In verse 10. Even after being so bombastic and judgmental, even then he says, you know, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There it will be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves ahead. In verse 2, then, say, no, not verse 2, in verse 12, say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown to God's God's unfaithful people by, by association. Say to your brethren, he says to them, and to your sisters, tell your brothers you're my people, and tell your sisters, mercy is shown. What I want to light upon in closing is something that I think is an opening for us. Should we be disconcerted by individuals in our webs of relationship? And the closing here in terms of my spiel this morning and the opening in life is, when I look in the biblical text, difficulties notwithstanding, God still somehow remains the optimist for them. Love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I know as a parent, uh, I've had to pray my kids through more than one thing, and my wife that prayer warrior. Life is just plain trippy. Life is just plain challenging. And people can get very, very, very disoriented in life. And we can become very disoriented ourselves as we're just trying to keep abreast of sin and circumstance and and, and trying to keep equilibrium in our webs of relationships. If there's one story here, never mind my, the weird Jewish thing, police thing, sense of humor that we could do without a little bit. Never mind all this stuff that's just part of my persona. If one wanted just to come to terms with something in the text that was rather profound, what I see in the text when I look at it and what I, the one thing that I want you to see in the text when you look at it, and beyond that, never mind your 30 minutes with me, there's 168 hours in a week, so you have 167 hours and 30 minutes out there in the world beyond me, and you may never see me again. But what I want you to do when you look in this text with me, and what I want you to do when you look at your life, whatever all that is, If there's one lesson, it's this. Here, even amidst the turbulence of trying times, even when God says there's going to be a judgment upon you, it's not final. God still believes good things for them. When I look at the word love, as in God loves, as in He's saying in the drama, but I love you. The word love in Hebrew, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. The word love, ahav in Hebrew, as in to love because I love you. That word isn't just riddled with, with sentiment, though it contains it to be sure. But the word ahav, love, means to do good on behalf of. It's not always a feeling world, a feeling word. It's to do good on behalf of someone. God so loved the world, that is, he's minded to do good on behalf of. And here, even in a world gone bad, even in the middle of describing how things have to run their course and these people are going to have to go low, low, and lower still. And even with the graphic kind of imagery of, hey, you're a hooker, I'm marrying one, that's what God told me to do. Uh, Even all of that, even with all of that, you have a story here of a God who loves, who cares, who shares, and it's explicit. You know, when God called Abraham, he says, listen, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sand. And even in saying destruction's forthcoming, he looks past that and says, you know, there will be a new day dawning. Because I know that God loves you. He has a plan for you. There's a purpose. And maybe you're giving up on him, but he ain't giving up on you. Listen, my encouragement in webs of relationships is don't give up on those that are performing poorly. Be loving still. Even if they don't believe they have a good future because of their own sin and circumstance, I want you to articulate a positive future for them. And be steady and consistent Listen, I love you, God loves you, nothing you can do can separate yourself from me. We're in this together, you're a great person, you got a lot of talent, there's goodness in you. Just sow to the good stuff and point to the future. And who knows, maybe you'll see good things arising. In any case, may the Lord bless the ministry of the Word. Uh, Thank you for affording me the opportunity to share it. I'll come back and dismiss then at service's end. But Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your Word and for the time in it. For people giving uh, grace to be here when other things are competing for our time and attention, Lord. We bless your name for them, Father. And I pray, Lord, that there's something in this to, to take to the bank of life. Lord, thank you for your word and blessings to you for your lovingness, your kindness toward us, even when we weren't particularly loving and kind ourselves, Father. And we bless your name in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.